biblical parenting discipline. So this is the second part of Ephesians 6.4, text that we are spending all of our time carefully walking through. It's the negative, do not provoke, and positive, instead, bring them up, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is discipline in relationship to the training of our children. Training them involves both instruction and discipline. It's not a either or, but a both and. So this is the nurturing part of Ephesians 6, 4. And that's all that goes into <clears throat> discipline. This is really, we can talk about it as structure. Um, <coughs> uh, certainly involves elements of correction, but it's not only correction. Uh, it is a whole part of parenting. Structuring part of the greater goal of instruction towards Christ-likeness. So, what becomes critical in discipline is that we maintain the right goal, we keep the right target ahead of us. Um, because if we don't, then discipline gets out of control. Um, so we don't want to think of it primarily as punishment. Um, but discipline is part of training, okay? Even in corrective measures, discipline is part of training them. Um, so it's not a lecture on how to punish your child, but rather on how to love your child uh, to provide them structure, okay? And children need structure. And again, there is <clears throat> a corrective element, but it's not a, a desire to bring vengeance upon the child, right? to take out your frustrations upon the child. That's the wrong view and the wrong practice of discipline. Only the Lord has the right to bring vengeance. But again, there is elements of corrective uh, to discipline. Um, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, does speak of uh, the word of God that instructs, and it also corrects, it reproves, right? It shows someone where they're wrong, and teaches them what is right, sets them back on the path of Christ's likeness. Uh, there's several proverbs that uh, we need to think about. Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. He who loves him disciplines him promptly. Okay. Um, Proverbs 23, uh, 13 and 14, it says this, Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Again, just uh, another uh, admonition towards discipline and the um, need for discipline. And then this one, Proverbs 19, 18. Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your hope, or your, excuse me, do not set your heart on his destruction. Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. Blows that hurt cleanse away evil, as do stripes the inner depths of the heart. Now you read these texts in our day. Do you get a little uneasy? Maybe fidgeting? Like, man, talks about beating the child with a rod, chastening, hurts, blows that hurt can cleanse away evil. Do we, what are we supposed to do with that in our day? Um, what do we do with these texts that speak of this kind of discipline 
in our day. He who spares his rod hates his son. And he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Um, so what do we do? Should we tell people God has embarrassed us with his language? No. No. Can't do that. We're not embarrassed by God's language. Just because our culture doesn't like the language doesn't mean that we should be embarrassed by God's language. Should we cut these verses out? Right? No. Not, um, not Thomas Jefferson cutting verses out of the Bible, right? And creating a Jefferson Bible. Well, it's not us. We, we don't want to do that. We do want to say God hates child abuse. That's, that's right. That's right. We do have to say that. We want to say that because we hate it. Right? Disciplining in sinful anger is wrong. It is sinful. Discipline can be taken too far. It can be taken too far. No doubt about it. Don't set your heart on his destruction. Proverbs 19, 18. So we do not want to say what God, we do not uh, want to put something on God that the text does not put on God. God hates, unequivocally saying, God hates child abuse. That is never okay. Yet we must be people of balance, not extremes. We can't swing the pendulum to the other side, right? So God hates child abuse, so we have to go to the other side and say, permissiveness, no correction, no punishment, no, no discipline, put it that way, okay? We have to understand these proverbs, and we also have to make sure that we are understanding passages in light of all Scripture, comparing Scripture with Scripture, right? So don't forget, when we think of Proverbs uh, biblically uh, or understanding them in the light of their genre and what they're intended, um, we cannot ignore the rest of Scripture. There are bits of wisdom that are put into language that is not easily forgotten, okay? Um, and their wisdom here. So... We have to not take these verses only in isolation, which some may have done, to justify their sinful wrath on the child to use a rod. Well, I'm just using a rod, just like the Bible tells me to use it. Okay? So, so that's, the, that's an erroneous, taking just this verse and not understanding it in the whole of Scripture. Okay? So there is a necessity of loving a child with necessary discipline and structure, okay? Discipline and structure. That's critical to understand. That's critical to understand. Uh, where there may need to be corrective measures. There will need to be corrective measures. Because I think the other side of the pendulum is this. But one, of, one of them we want to try to say, um, <clears throat> in balancing this, this does not justify in any way child abuse. The other side, it's swinging the pendulum to the other side, what I think these texts help us learn is that a lack of discipline is actually harmful to the child as well. It's harmful to them. They need structure. They need this discipline. Sometimes it can be corporal, right? You can write measures, in right ways, in right control. Anytime there's a discipline out of control, that's sinful. That's not Proverbs 13, 24. That's not Proverbs 22, 13, and 14. He's talking about necessary structure. So just because this uh, seems harsh in, to our ears, to our culturally sensitive ears, uh, doesn't mean that we should abandon all sense of discipline, structure, correction, measures of correctiveness in the child's life because that is also harmful. That's why these warnings are here. Um, you know, if you hate your son, you'll spare the rod. Oh, okay. If you don't discipline, that's hating your child. That's interesting. That's interesting. How countercultural that seems to our day. Um, so, <clears throat> don't set your hope on his destruction. So we want to be people of balance. We want to think carefully through discipline. Mm. 
And we want to dispel any false ideas of discipline. What are some of those? The first false idea is that correction alone is enough. That's a false idea. We touched on this in the instruction part. But that's why there's both discipline and instruction of the Lord. Training involves both of them. Bringing them up, training them up in the way of the Lord involves both discipline and instruction. Again, we could tend to one side or the other. We can tend to try to only give instruction without any corrective discipline. That's not going to to do it. But neither is discipline only, correction only, without instruction. Correction will cause a child to maybe alter behavior if you only do correction. You can get a child to alter behavior. Here's one of the challenges with discipline and correction. If all you do is correction, you can get a child to alter behavior so long. And then if they get bigger than you, they're not maybe as intimidated anymore. Or they get out from under the house and now they're out on their own. They've been able to manage behavior while they're under the roof, possibly because they've been intimidated or afraid or whatever it might be. But that only works for so long. It can look pristine and good for the parent because they've got well-ordered kids. But if all that they get is correction, and they don't have instruction along with it. The goal of parenting is not accomplished because the child has not grown into maturity. They have to have both. So one false idea was, if I just discipline them, correct them, that's sufficient. Um, Many will go um, the other side and and say this, well, there's our text again, Ephesians 6, 4, with both, both of them. Many may say uh, they shouldn't discipline because, look at this, many who were disciplined firmly turned out badly. You heard that? I don't know if you've heard that. Well, I know this so-and-so and this so-and-so, that they turned out bad and they attribute it back to their discipline, their hard firm, disciplined life. But perhaps there's reasons for that under the surface. Again, that's a blanket statement, right? That's kind of anecdotal anyways, isn't it? I mean, I just know these people and they, you know, they had a military father and they were so, you know, this way and, um, you know, and, and couldn't ever do anything, so on and so forth. Well, sometimes that happens because they were disciplined in uncontrolled anger. Sometimes that happens because explosive parents were in their life. They may be one of the causes of at least uh, discipline gone bad. Certainly we understand it's not the cause of why the individual chose to do what they did. The cause is their heart. But sometimes discipline is done in uncontrolled anger. James 1.20, remember that? The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Discipline and anger. You're going to hear that several times because this is, this is one area of parenting where anger is a strong temptation for parents to discipline out of anger. Or um, <clears throat> discipline because they bothered me, wrong motive. They were inconvenienced, wrong goal. So I just, but they embarrassed me. That's why they got the discipline. Again, the goal is to bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Maybe they were disciplined without love or praise. Here's what we mean by that. They just had a critical spirit, a critical spirit. Wasn't any encouragement in the house at all. Again, the corrective measures of discipline was assumed that that could be what would fix the problem. But there was never any sense of encouragement. Remember that Ephesians 4.29 passage we talked about? That they are to um, you, you are to say things that would edify, right? 
Romans 13, 7, render to everyone the things that they're due. Honor to whom honor is due. That's part of that. Honor to whom honor is due. Or, as we said, it could be discipline without teaching. And so there's several factors. So many who are disciplined firmly as children turn out badly. And that may be what your counselor says. Well, I, I can't discipline them. I can't discipline them because I know people that they were disciplined hard as a kid. And, and I don't want my kid to turn out that way. I don't want my kid to turn out to hate me. Boy, that's a motivation for a lot of parents. I don't want my kid to turn out to hate me. So I just want to be their friend. I just want to be their friend. And discipline, friends don't correct. Well, if you read Proverbs, they do. But it's beside the point. Discipline without teaching. And so a lot of times they will say that, but there's probably more under the surface than that what they understand. And proper discipline is actually good and right. Okay? Another false idea about discipline that we have to dispel from our minds and from the minds of our counsel is that discipline is going to hinder their creativity and potential. Discipline is going to hinder their creativity and potential. So give them no structure. They're just creative. Right? Again, I think we, we have to talk about balance here. There's no doubt there's balance because we have to, going back to that first lecture we had, we have to think about um, what is moral and what is not moral. Kid makes a mess. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're sinful, right? And I think parents have to balance that in understanding, you know, um, what does corrective discipline look like? Am I frustrated because they, you know, made a mess? And so I'm not going to allow anything that makes messes whatsoever, right? Um, that's, not a, that's, that's not necessarily a moral issue or the wisdom issue, right? Um, but this would, this would be those who would say any kind of structure given to the children is going to hinder their creativity, so you just need to let them loose on that. But in reality, the, the truth is, is appropriate loving discipline and actually enables greater creativity and greater potential. It helps channel that for them. Give them structure in that. Or maybe some people assume that <clears throat> discipline will warp their personality or hurt their psyche. It'll be another way that you might hear. Okay. It'll, it'll, it will hinder their development. Okay. It'll hinder their development. It'll be part of the child psychology maybe world. Hinder their development. Again, we go back to God's word to learn that, in fact, correction is not going to hinder their development done right. It's going to enhance their God, um, God, word, uh, God maturity and development in that way. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. folly is bound up in the heart of a child. That's so interesting, isn't it? I love how the scriptures are so direct and helpful. Let me tell you, when you start having kids, you're like, folly is bound up in the heart of that child. I can see it, right? I know it. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child. That's natural to them. If you will, that's their, <laughs> that's their psyche. That's their personality, right? That's, that's, that's what they do. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but it says in 15, the rod of discipline drives it far from him. So, so that is completely counter to this idea that discipline is going to somehow warp their development, right? In fact, what the scriptures say is discipline, corrective discipline is part of their development because folly is bound up in the heart of the child and discipline drives it far from them. So we need to dispel false ideas about discipline with the Word of God. We need to remember that our Lord corrects those He loves for their benefit. Our Lord corrects that. That is, in fact, exactly um, how God treats His children. 
Um, look at this text in Hebrews 12. <coughs> you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Isn't that fascinating? The discipline of the Lord is an expression of his love for his children. And he scourges every son whom he receives. I think this becomes the kind of the, maybe the obvious statement that the writer of Hebrews says. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Yes and amen. We get that, right? Kind of that painful blows is what um, Proverbs says. Uh, similar here, right, Hebrews? Now, it, it may be painful for the child or, or, or difficult for the child. Nobody probably rejoices or it doesn't seem joyous at the front end. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Isn't that amazing? There, there's a product that comes there's a result that happens to those who will be trained by the discipline of the Lord, and it's the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And one of the key features here is that God disciplines for the benefit of the person that he's disciplining. He's doing it for the benefit. Biblical discipline always looks to the future and to better decisions for the future that will benefit the one who is being disciplined. That is biblical discipline when parents consider the good of their child and not the good of themselves. And that's true for a variety of reasons. I already said that sometimes parents will say, I don't, I don't want to discipline my child because for fear that they might not like me when they grow up. Guess what kind of motivation that is? Self-centered motivation, isn't it? I don't really like to see my child cry. I don't know any parent that likes to see their child cry. That, that's hard. But what is that? That's self-centered motivation, isn't it? That's not for the sake of the child. Or as we've already had several um, conversations about, that uncontrolled anger or inconvenience, that's certainly not child for the benefit of the child. That's for the benefit of the parent makes my life easier. So our Lord corrects those he loves for their benefit. Okay? That's, that's a critical thing to remember, not something that we should easily and quickly forget. Okay? So what are some essentials for effective correction? Essentials for effective correction. <clears throat> Number one, you have to develop a conviction. You have to develop a conviction that children are a gift from God and not an inconvenience. Children are a gift from God. We've already said that, you are, that parents are stewards of the children that God has given them. Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the, room, of the womb is a reward. It's a gift gift from God. And we have to be convinced of that. Um, and, and that's going to fly in the face of a culture that when you're um, counseling parents, you have to know that some of them, many of them may be influenced by a culture that says children are dispensable. Children aren't really a gift. They're an inconvenience. They're actually something that came about because of the pleasure I was seeking, and they were just an accident that came about, and so they, they can be disposed of and gotten rid of. That, I mean, that is, that is the culture we breathe right now, guys. And so, so parents are going to probably, at least to some extent, be influenced by that. And they have to develop a conviction that children are actually a gift from God not an obstacle in the way of their dreams and desires. 
they are what God has for them right then. Children are a gift from God. Secondly, that we are God's representatives and we must give an account. We are God's representative and must give an account. God's representatives, that's interesting, I think. In Ephesians 6, 4, again, we've um, looked at it several times. But we have to reflect God's heart and love. Just as we saw that example in Hebrews chapter 12, that's the kind of representative we are to be to our children. How does God discipline? We take our cues from him. We are showing them, in other words, imaging Christ, reflecting the glory of God, reflecting the character of God to our children. So we have to be convinced that children are a gift of God, that we're God's representative, to, and we will give an account to him for how we disciplined. And their counselor will give an account of whether they disciplined. God wants to give wisdom and strength. God wants to give wisdom and strength. We have to be convinced of that. God uh, means what he says in James 1.5. And, and we're, we're supposed to believe that. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And he's ready. He wants to give wisdom and strength to your counselee. In the middle of a hard time, when they are tempted again to discipline and uncontrolled anger, they have to be convinced that God stands ready to give them wisdom and strength to do what is right. You know why they have to be convinced of that? If they're not, they're not going to go to him. They're not going to ask him for it. If they're not convinced that he's ready to give it to them. God wants to give wisdom and strength. <clears throat> we have to develop a conviction that we are loving to give children limits. To give children limits. There's a lot of things that limits will help with. That shows that it's loving. Limits will not cause or heal a problem. Limits will protect the child from what they cannot handle. Limits will protect the child from what they cannot handle. It's not always able to handle everything yet, especially as they grow in maturity. Frankly, I think some adults could use limits from what they cannot handle. Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Wouldn't you tell a counselee that is really struggling in an area where they are <clears throat> making provision or, or whether they are giving it to sin time and time again, wouldn't you say, why don't you for a while limit yourself from doing those things, right? Because that's going to bring a temptation to you. Well, that's Romans 13, 14. Why wouldn't we think of that in terms of children? Providing them limits because it's a good thing for them. It's a good thing for them. It provides an opportunity and a setting for learning so that they are limited from that. I'm going to chase a little bit of a rabbit, but I won't go far into chasing. But, but I think it, it, rela it relates to limits in a world of technology. There's going to have to be some measure of limits, right, that will help give structure to a child or to a teenager and, and, and whatever age they, they're, they're going to interact with technology. It's just a given. We understand that. We live in a world of it. They're going to interact with it. But, but parents need to think through limits on the technology. Whatever the age to get a phone, that's, that's all. There's going to be wisdom calls all throughout there. But I really think we need to help parents think through the danger of just handing them a phone and saying, go for it. But, but that, oh my goodness, that the amount of parents that, that, um, that do that. And, and, and I have sat with parents broken because their son, their daughter, is just he, like over their heads in pornography and, you know, just at a young age. And they're thinking, what, what in the world happened? And you back up and there was zero limits. Zero limits given to them. This is a loving thing for them. And, and trust me, you're going to hear it. But all my friends, all my friends have 
a phone and access to everything they want. Why, why can't I? And parents have to be convinced at that time because those are hard arguments. Listen, those are hard things to hear, right? But parents have to be convinced that they're loving to give some limits on their children. The things that they're not ready to handle yet. Things that they're not mature enough to handle. Again, we probably argue maybe some adults may not be mature enough to handle it. But for sure, many kids are not. So I think there has to be a conviction here. And there is a good setting for learning. Again, I'm not opposed to technology. I use it. I like it. It makes my life so much easier. But there's a good place to help them learn it. Okay? A good setting to, to give them the handles on that kind of stuff. Frankly, limits are everywhere. <clears throat> you could say limits are the stuff life is made of. Doesn't matter where they're going to go, they're going to be limited. Even when they're adults, they have to learn to live within those limits, those boundaries, because they're all over the place. We live in a world that says don't, don't give them limits. They're, um, it's like every graduation speech you've ever heard. Reach for the stars, don't let anybody limit you, go outside of your, right? That's, that's every one of them. The limits of the stuff that life is made of your child is going to be limited by his abilities. That's true. It's true. Not every child is. I know, I know little Billy is, is unique and um, gifted and all of these things, but there's some place in his abilities that he's limited in, right? They're going to be limited in everything. Um, there's going to be bosses. There's going to be... Um, doctors that give you limits on what you should eat, what you should not eat. There's um, traffic, uh, traffic limitations. I mean, you could say all day, well, I don't have any limits. But when that, that police officer pulls you over, <laughs> well, listen, I'm living a life without limits. And he's going to say, he or she is going to say, yeah. right, why don't you uh, take this limit? and uh, pay it or go to jail. Everybody will limit, and that's just life. So it's good for them to learn to live inside of limits. Children not practiced at handling limits are not prepared to handle life. Um, they need to know what it is to live inside those limits. Again, Proverbs 13.24 would say that um, the parent who does not lovingly structure their child does not love him properly. So the, we have to first be convinced of these realities. Second, the second essential for effective correction would be giving expectations ahead of time. Giving expectations ahead of time. Um, Sarah, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. Right? There's, there's clarity and expectation. This is what I expect of you. And a child that struggles to know what their parents expect of them is going to struggle to conform to the standards that they don't know about. Make sense? Not really given if we don't, kids can't read our minds, so they need to be, we need to be communicated to them even ahead of time so that they know going in and they're reminded. A lot of times this is helpful, you know, before you go into a place public church and grocery store and things like that. It's okay. Here's what I expect, right? Here's how I expect you to act, to behave. It's essential. Uh, you're giving them some things ahead of time. God did that in Eden, didn't he? Didn't he lay out instructions? Listen, this is not only as a result of the fall. This was pre-fall. It was before the fall into sin. God said, Adam, here's what I expect. Here's the jobs you have, and there's a tree in the middle of the garden. You can eat of all of them, not this one. Limited, Adam. <laughs> this limit, this one is off limits, Adam. And you need to leave under, live under these, and you're actually going to flourish if you live within the boundaries I've given you because you're a finite creature. If you go outside of those boundaries, guess what's going to happen? Life's going to be tough. Life's going to be hard. And God gave expectations. He, does the same, he did the same thing after the fall. 
with the children of Israel at Sinai. He gave them his law. These are the expectations that reflect my holy character. Okay, so it helps. Now, when I say it, give expectations ahead of time, know this. With children, you're going to have to provide regular reminders of your expectation. Regular reminders of your expectation. Well, I told them how they're supposed to behave in the store one time. And they should know by now. Regular reminders of expectations are needed because they will tend to forget and they will tend to get, um, like children, they need limits. They'll they'll tend to just um, not be paying any attention to it. So giving expectations ahead of time is helpful. Make rules that are are, uh, uh, I'm just going to put all this up. Make rules that are reasonable. Make rules that are reasonable first. Consistency is important. That's why that line is there. But the rules are, uh, your rules that you need to make are to be reasonable. Okay? Consistency is very important here with your rules as you're providing structure and discipline for the children. Okay? Um, When you're making rules that are reasonable then when correction comes because they've broken those rules, right? it's not that they have been unable to keep them, they've been unwilling to keep them. Make sense? They're reasonable expectations. Not because they're unable in the sense that, um, that because they're unreasonable. Understand the sin nature, I get that, but the rules themselves aren't unreasonable. Um, now, this particular place, reasonable for the child, does not mean reasonable to the child. <laughs> does that make sense? It's reasonable for the child, but not reasonable to the child. Well, that does not sound reasonable, Dad. Not sound reasonable. Nope. You're going to limit me to two hours of, of, of TV? Nope, that does not sound reasonable. I think four does. Mm-mm. Right? But it's reasonable for the child. Okay. Matthew 23 helps us uh, in that. The scribes and the Pharisees, uh, verse 4 in particular, um, they bound heavy burdens hard to bear and laid them on men's shoulders. Unreasonable expectations of the people. While they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Right? So so if you want to kind of test maybe your reasonableness, is see, would, would would I be able to do that? Right? The rule is you have to sit there, five-year-old, for one hour and not move, right? I don't expect you to move at all in one hour. Is that reasonable for a five-year-old? Does that make sense? Extreme, yes. I get it, but that, that example should be reasonable. They should be definable, right? They don't have to guess or wonder. It's not too fuzzy for them. It's clear. It's definable, Okay? when you're making rules so that they know this is specifically what I'm talking about, okay? And they have to be enforceable. They have to be enforceable, okay? The government can make a lot of rules, just as an example, that, that really aren't enforceable. They can make a law and, and nobody can enforce it. So, so what happens when, that, when, when government does that? Well, they kind of lose credibility with the people. You're not really going to enforce this. You can't enforce this, actually. It's impossible for you to enforce this, so why would you make a law about that? Well, do I really need to keep any law then? Does that make sense? I lose credibility. This also um, applies, when we're talking about correction in particular, this also implies with any kind of empty threats. Hmm. I, I just expose my, my heart a little bit when I, when I teach these classes. Um, so I'll, I'll give myself as another bad example. When I was, when my daughter was, I don't know, four, five, six, I just, I was at my wit's end, right? It's one of those parent, those parenting moments that you just fail. And I remember thinking, and I, and I told her this, I said, if you don't stop it, I'm standing in your room, and I look around the room, I said, I am taking everything out of your room, and you're going to sit here by yourself without anything at all in your room all day. 
And I walked out of that, out of the room. Of course, my daughter's just wide-eyed, you know. And I closed the door, and my wife said, really? <laughs> really? Are you going to do that? If she doesn't, I said, I don't even know how I can, right? I don't know how it's possible. But in the spur of the moment, I was frustrated, right? Bad parenting, bad correction. That was not enforceable. And my daughter, maybe at five, didn't understand that it wasn't enforceable. But that would be an example, kind of empty threats. I'm never really going to do this, but I'm just trying to get you in line, right? I'm never really going to actually follow through with that at all. Um, the rules should be enforceable. Fourth, establish appropriate rewards and consequences. Appropriate rewards and consequences. There's a cause and effect we see in the scriptures. Um, we see that all the way through the scriptures. Um, there are um, consequences. I think of Galatians 6, 7, I think is a helpful text uh, for that. Um, in terms of the cause and effect, you're going to reap things that you sow. Right? There's a law of sowing and reaping there. Um, uh, so there's many places where you're going to see this idea of cause and effect. Um, in the cause and effect arena, rewards and consequences, there should be more immediate for a small child. Okay? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. You think of uh, rewards and consequences. And sometimes that immediate reward, um, you know, if you the child does something and it takes you a while to get to discipline. Sometimes the, the child is, doesn't even remember what they're being disciplined for if they're really young, right? Um, so that's why the immediate for the small child a little bit more. Um, uh, focus on a daily habit that needs changing. And that's in particular for rewards and consequences uh, or corrections. Um, focus on a daily habit that might need changing, something that they're just stuck on. And you're going to focus on that and, and just help them get through that a little bit. Um, it's pr a good exercise. It might be a good exercise project for parents to the strengths and weaknesses of each child. Your parents, you're, you're counseling a parent and, and you're saying, hey, why don't you go out and list strengths and weaknesses of the children and, um, you know, get a plan to work on these things. Uh, it's good homework for them to do, good project. Um, Finding appropriate rewards and consequences for each child will be a little bit different um, because each child will be different uh, in that sense as well. Okay. Um, every problem is not a major issue. Um, difference between swing issue and fire issue, right? Um, a child is playing rough on a swing versus the child running with fire. That's the idea, right? Those, there should be two different responses to those, right? If everything's kind of a five alarm to us, five alarm fire type response to us, then nothing is, right? We just, that's the idea, don't be careful. In fact, the consequences that you make, and this is where I think this is helpful, the consequences that you make should fit the uh, particular issue that you're trying to help them uh, through, okay? The consequences should fit. Uh, as, you, as they say, the punishment should fit the crime. But the consequences should fit what they did wrong in the correction. Again, my example of, of the take everything out of your room, that's an exaggerated consequence to begin with. Even if I could do that, that's an exaggerated consequence for what she was doing. That... that that shouldn't have, I mean, a five-year-old is not probably going to do something that would require that level of, at least in their daily interactions, that level of kind of exaggerated consequence, okay? Um, a helpful tool, and we've used this in our, with our kids as well in the past, um, might be a behavior contract, a behavior contract where mom and dad kind of have a, you list out um, to uh, 
on, on one side of that, the desired behavior of the behavior contract. Um, you put a reward for it and a correction for it. And in each of those desired behaviors uh, has a reward and a correction, okay? Um, I don't know if it's on, here it is. Here's an example of one um, that would be, be there, right? A behavior contract, so there's chores on the, on the desired behavior side. You know, room is supposed to be cleaned by breakfast, garbage, um, uh, needs to be out um, Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, so the reward, maybe if the room is clean by breakfast, they get a snack later in the day. Small reward or a correction, no snack, right? And instead of eating a snack, they have to go clean their room. This is one for a, for a smaller child. This would be an example for a smaller child. So it's going to obviously adjust as, as uh, the child gets older and for particular people. So schoolwork done, maybe another one, um, and they can have acceptable TV or play, right? Maybe a privilege. Once this is done, these things are privileges. We, that's how we talk about them in our house. Um, we talk about them in a different way, but we kind of talk about them as, as some of these things where you can maybe watch TV. That's a privilege for you, and some of the other things have to be done before you do that, and that's just your privilege. And then um, you may lose your privilege, right? You can lose your privilege if uh, if some of these things aren't done, okay? And not everything has to be attached to a specific um, uh, a specific reward, like something like a snack they get or something like that. It can also be part of the reward is you have a good relationship with, if you didn't hit your sister, you have, your reward is a joyful relationship with your sister, right? That, that's a, that's a, a reward too, that, that you have a good relationship and, and you're having fun and you're joyful with her, right? So this can be helpful Sometimes you can have your, your kids sign it and agree to because you're walking it out. That, that's, that's a structure thing for parents. Again, this is just a tool. This is not a thus says the Lord, but this is a tool that parents can use uh, so that they're clear. It kind of hits a lot of these uh, effective areas of correction because it gives clear and definable and reasonable. It makes you think through those things, enforceable things, so that when they do that, you can also go back to the behavior chart and say, well, remember what it says here, Right? And sometimes you can have the child sign it, have the child sign it when they're not in the middle of this, right? Because then, you know, at times you'll be like, oh, I regret signing that. <laughs> now that I have to deal with the, the consequence of it. But the idea is, though, that this is just, this is one way of laying it out clearly so that they know, okay? It's just a tool. Um, again, this is primarily behavioral. And I just want to remind you, don't forget the heart. They can conform to this on the outside, but have a heart that isn't far from the Lord. So you can never forget that. Follow through in love. That's the fifth um, essential. No discipline and uncontrolled anger. No discipline and uncontrolled anger. No words and tones that attack the person instead of the problem. Okay? Um, so avoid discipline and uncontrolled anger, words and tones that attack the uh, person instead of the problem. Give them help. Teach them how. So there's many times they don't, part of the correction is teaching them how to do something. Okay, perhaps they're not rebellious in their heart. They're really struggling to know how to do that. Remember, you teach by example. And expect pressure. Expect pressure. Expect pressure from your child. That's what I would tell parents, expect them to not like this, especially if it's a parent that is trying to implement these things in their house where it hasn't been there. Expect pressure. The kids are going to test your limits. They might say things like, you know, if you really loved me, you wouldn't do that. What kind of Christian are you to do this to me? That's pressure from a child. But you don't understand. You don't understand Maybe manipulation. If I die, then you'll be sorry. Right? If they challenge, it is good, a good experience for them when the parent wins decisively. There's an understanding of authority here, right? Because God has placed me, and that's what I think the parents often have to recognize. God has placed me here. And I have to be consistent with you. And I'm not going to be manipulated by every one of your whims. 
okay? Parents need to know, kids need to know that parents cannot be manipulated, okay? Kids need to know that. The mom or dad cannot be manipulated or they will, just like our hearts will, guys. They'll, they'll exploit that. And it's not good for them. Oh, it's not good for them at all. So here's a few questions that'll help you. The questions to ask when you're disciplining. You get to the heart, what did you do? Tell me what you did. Um, I've, I have found that especially when they're younger, um, they don't like to say what they did. They don't like to admit it. Tell me what you did. You know, they'll talk in a really low voice and just kind of hide their face or, you know. Um, but I think it's helpful. I think it's important. Confess that. What did you do? There's a confession element there, right? Dad, you know what I did. I want to hear what you think you did, right? What did you do here? Was it right? Dad, you know it wasn't right. You tell me. Not what you think I think, but what does God think? What does God think? What should you have done instead? He responded in this way. This is where some of those tools that you're teaching your counselees about communication are helpful, right? If you, or, or in other ways, right? If you said something, if you reacted out of anger, what should you have done instead? Okay? So what are you going to do next time? How, how will they solve it? Because sometimes... The child is in the middle of the circumstance and they see no other way out but the way they took. They see that this is the only thing I think I could have done. So that's what they did. Maybe help them resolve. Well, here's a way you could have responded if they can't come up with anything. Right? Here's a way you could have done things differently. It's part of instruction and training and correction. And then, what does God expect me to do now? I think that's helpful to know when you're disciplining them, they need to understand that God holds you accountable for disciplining them, right? What does God expect me to do now that you have done this? Well, he expects me, you to discipline me, right? Because then they can attach this and, not know, and know that this is not because dad is just, or mom is just, um, you know, flying off the handle. But this is because they're doing what is best for me. Again, will they believe that every time? I didn't believe it when my parents told me. <laughs> this is good for you. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. <laughs> yeah. Right. You became a parent, and you go, ah, got it. Right? Helpful in terms of the correction and the discipline.